my small mech recommend is the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. You think I don't know how it is? Risking your life for minimum wage? Never enough for those pretty dresses or that uh, fancy summer camp all her friends went to? Then some rich asshole takes not only your wife, but your own little girl. Have you seen her? Can't say that I have, Lowell, but I know people. And I know she misses the way you protected her. Hello, everybody. Hey, how's it going? How is everybody doing today? It's Recotopia episode 95. Our big recommend is the 1992, 1992 film Leap of Faith. Uh, starring Steve Martin and Deborah Winger. Uh, I'm joined by Aaron and Jeremy Scott. Hello, everybody. Hey. And uh, I'm Chris Atkinson. How are How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing today? I'm doing great. Doing fine. I just got a, a, a last second phone call from a child during the five minute countdown to our live show about oh. paying for auto repairs. And he had oh. to have an answer now. So that's, you know. Again? Again? <laughs> Always. Okay. Always. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Well, the um, does anybody have any small recommends for us today? It's no big deal. <laughs> It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Mm. I have one. I yes. have a small recommend that came to me uh, via many years of Chris making it a big recommend to me. Uh, and I recently saw Train to Busan. Holy shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Holy shit. Again, mm -hmm. I think there was something that in my head just thought, okay, uh, train, zombies, that's probably going to be interesting whenever I get to it. Um, but it's doing so much more than that in that it becomes like it, it has moments where they're like a stealth video game because these things don't see. They only hear. And so they distract them with audio. Uh, there's one part where they're crawling quietly on the baggage things above the zombies down below them. They keep getting separated. There's fires. The train is moving. Uh, it's just an adrenaline shot to my brain. Um, mm -hmm. I loved everything about this movie. Apparently, the sequel is no good. I've been warned by many people to just mm. stop where I am right here. <laughs> Get but off man, at this stop. <laughs> Don't proceed further. I've seen, I mean, at this point, we've all seen zombie stuff. Uh, so for some somebody to be able to create a fresh scenario uh, and and bend tropes in a new way uh, it was just really refreshing. And uh, I I often thought of Snowpiercer while watching this. They came out like mm. a year apart from one another, mm. so I doubt there's any like inspired by either direction. Um, but they both play with that stuck on a train conceit in really unexpected and fun ways. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I saw this on Showtime. It's also on Tubi, Peacock, Pluto, Amazon Freebie. Uh, in other words, everywhere. Uh, mm. So you, like me, have dragged your feet and have not seen Train to Busan. Uh, <laughs> here I am now on the other side, on the finish line, going, you can do it! Watch Train to Busan! Uh, I I also watched <clears throat> Train to Busan for the first time this week. Uh, in order, yeah, in order to prep for uh, you know, since you had watched it, I wanted to uh, uh, to do that. So I actually I actually watched it last night, and uh, and it's great. It's so super entertaining. It's so fun. It is you know Snowpiercer Z. You know the zombies are very World War Z type. You know yes. fast acting. Like the the you know the there's a, an amount of time that it takes to become a zombie, and then there's the slow march of the zombie. And this movie's like I don't got time for either of those. Like you get bit, you're a zombie, and then you can run. You know, <laughs> uh, and it just it adds a lot of fun uh, to this movie. I think the first forty five to fifty minutes of this movie are some of the best zombie setup I've ever seen in any movie ever. It gives you the rules of the world. It tells you where you are and you know exactly what to expect. Um, I think there's, uh, I'll just say this, it would be very, very fun to send the rest of this movie because there's some nonsense uh, in the rest of this movie that it kind of falls into. But I think it kind of brings it back with a a pretty poignant and well done ending. Uh, I think the ending is, is really good here. So that kind of brings it back uh, into the great movie must watch uh, category after a little bit of tropiness uh, that it falls into there for a bit. But yeah, it's, it's good stuff. For sure. um, Aaron, do you have a small recommend this week? I do. I do. Um, I'm going to talk about Maestro uh, this week. Now, this oh, is this today. nice. Good timing. Wow. Um, yeah. So this is in theaters uh, currently for a little run before it hits Netflix uh, here in about a week. Well, actually, as you're listening to this, probably just a couple days uh, before it will be on Netflix for you on the 20th. Um, this movie, the main thing I want to say is if you can see it in a theater, especially maybe like a Dolby theater or something with really good Atmos sound, do it. The sound design in scoring in this movie is some of the best I've ever experienced in my life. Um, mm. I got a chance to see this in the, uh, uh, the Netflix show theater that has, you know, state of the art Dolby Atmos sound. And it just blew my mind. There was one scene where I was weeping from the orchestration. Hmm. Like it was like, there's like, part of it is I'm sure the characters and what I know about the characters, and I'm sure that's playing into it. But the emotion I'm feeling is the movie's orchestration just pulling me somewhere. It is an absolute showpiece of a movie. And in fact, I think that will be its detraction from some is that it may feel a little uh, artsy or a little high on its own supply maybe Bradley Cooper is clearly trying to be a legend director he's not trying to be a run-of-the-mill director he is making some choices here with the way he's shooting things uh, the way he's framing things some of the metaphorical symbolism he's putting into his frames but overall it's just amazing performances an amazing life story that I wasn't truly aware of some of the things it has to say about uh, love and what that is and the different forms it can take are really really interesting and I think Bradley Cooper is going to be a talent to reckon with uh, he certainly he certainly wants to go big and uh, this is another I mean, sign of it 
A Star is Born was 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 good. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like this feels like such a big swing for his second directorial effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I will admit to being a little skeptical and I also would say I would actually want to ask you because mm-hmm. I have heard people say no going in that this is a lot more about their marriage than yes. it is his uh conductorness. Mm-hmm. Um which uh, I think is, is is actually a good choice um, to take somebody who's known only for his music and show us something about him that we don't really know because apparently it's a really complicated and touching relationship. But I also want to point out that I can't hear the word maestro without thinking about that Seinfeld episode. To respond, worked for Tar. Why not maestro? Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, to respond to that, Jeremy, yes, uh, that is a a very accurate description of the movie. It is it is really about their relationship, their uh, their marriage, and um, at the end of the day, uh, it, it, there's, it, there there will be a similar Hamilton thing that may be happening with some people. Like, who is the Hamilton we're talking about? Who is the maestro here we're talking about? You know, like oh. uh, you know that kind of thing is is uh underneath there as well um she's the maestro of his heart (laughs) (laughs) possibly possibly and i cannot overstate how good carrie uh, mulligan is in this movie she is astonishing and that's saying something when bradley cooper is giving his career best performance too it's just insane acting from both of them Hmm. Does she so, does yeah. she let out an unexpected gasp at the end of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Listen, I'm not here to tell her story. Uh, uh, I'll, let, okay. I'll let Bradley Cooper do that. Okay. So, yeah. I got you. I got. You. <laughs> Uh, I, I have, I've been on a six month hiatus and, uh, I come, I come to you, uh, not <laughs> recommending, uh, movies, but a YouTube channel that I have been absolutely just wearing out for the last month. I I'm like, can't get enough of this type of stuff. Not for everybody probably, but, um, I've been watching this Mr. Ballin YouTube channel and, uh, and this guy, uh, tells these stories and she's like if you're a fan of the dark and mysterious told in story form as he says in at the beginning of every uh episode then you come to the right place and so a lot of these episodes focus on him talking about true crime stories Mm. and he will tell the story in such a way that you're like okay okay what's going on here what's going on here and you, a lot of times, you will be blindsided by characters that have been that have come up in in the story. They turn out to be secret killers, and they have motives that you didn't understand <laughs> until the very end, and all this other stuff. And it is so good. I have just, I have just, and like there was a period of time there. I've gotten to the point now where I've watched nearly all of his videos. He he sprung up three years ago. So I've nearly watched everything, so it kind of sucks that I can't binge as much uh, anymore. But he's got a podcast, too, and he's got other stories on that. So I've been listening to those as well. Um, so that so that will be my that'll be my my uh, filling in the gaps. But uh, if you enjoy this type of stuff, I would strongly suggest that you uh, go and give him a watch because his the way he tells the stories are great. And it's kind of fun watching him when he started three years ago, he's 
he's not he's a good storyteller but not like a great one by now when he just comes out with his new episode he's absolutely fantastic um uh, at storytelling so if you like true crime and you like stuff like that there are moments uh he has warnings on all of his podcasts about distressful content and uh anything like that because he will tell you in detail there's no pictures you're not going to see pictures of horrible things but the one of the series he has on there is like uh three stories that have photo that have famous photos that that have uh, like um uh really like uh, I, I guess like scary photos or like uh, disturbing photos yeah. that are uh connected to them and sometimes it's often like people who have taken an instagram selfie or whatever five seconds before they've died uh Oof. you know things like that but um i highly recommend it so uh that's my recommendation very interesting you're the second mm -hmm. person to recommend a youtube channel to me today oh really like the universe is telling me something <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I believe that makes it time for this week's A Big Recommend. Yes. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. This week's Big Recommend is Steve Martin-led 1992 Leap of Faith. Uh, this is one of my very favorite movies, and I'm very excited to discuss it uh, with you guys and with our chat. Um, we open on what I think is a perfect opening scene for this movie uh, as the traveling uh, tent revival ministry, Miracles and Wonders, I believe they're called, even though they don't really ever talk about that. Uh, mm -hmm. Buses and trucks driving down the highway and they get pulled over because they were speeding. And so Steve Martin, who is Jonas, Jonas Nightingale, the, the pastor of this ministry, goes outside and not only talks his way out of the ticket, but ultimately gets the officer to make a donation to their ministry. And this scene tells us everything, man, about this group. It tells us the hierarchy that Steve Martin is in control, that Jane, uh, God, Deborah Wanger is basically his second in command, that none of them are really very religious, that uh, Jonas is a master of reading people and reading situations uh, because he sees a, a lack of a wedding ring and a school banner in the window and deduces that this guy lost his wife and kid to divorce, uh, sees a violin on the floor of the car and deduces that the kid played violin and basically tugs on this guy's heartstrings. And I want to point out, when he goes back on the bus, they ask him how he knew about the violin, and he lies. He says, red mark from the chin rest. Uh, so again, we learn he doesn't even tell his own crew all of his mm. own full cons and lies. And all of that will come back into play uh, as we go further in the movie. Down the road a little bit, one of the buses starts to smoke and the crew is forced to stop in an aptly named Rustwater, Kansas. I hope that's a real place because that name is just awesome. Just imagine moving to a place and going, look how rusty this water is. We should just name our place for that. Uh, <laughs> Rustwater is this tiny farming community in the midst of an extreme drought. Uh, and pretty quickly, Jonas decides to go ahead and set up the tent and do a revival there since they have to wait four days for the part to come for their bus. They need to eat, so they all go to a diner, and this is where we meet another key character, uh, the waitress Marva. Uh, Marva's standoffish towards Jonas, uh, which I would be too in her place. I, I think if I met Jonas in real life, I would be like, get the fuck away from me. Mm -hmm. um, but Jonas is drawn to her despite that. Um, 
he grandstands in the diner and tells stories uh, about a watch that he got from his lovely grandmother. And then he throws it and stomps on it and declares, nothing has value without salvation. Just one of the many religious phrases he spouts throughout the film. And then we cut to him in the car, digging through a bag of identical watches where we see this is just a, a con that he does where he pretends to destroy a beloved watch and just replaces it with another $10 cheap watch. They go to the sheriff, who's Liam Neeson, uh, because they need permits. And he says, no, says the town's too broke, too unemployed, can't afford a revival right now. And Jonas does what he always does. He uses words uh, and basically makes legal threats, says he's got a team of lawyers in New York, uh, yada, yada, yada. So the sheriff gives him the paperwork to fill out for the permit. And before we leave the scene, we see Jane, Deborah Winger, say, is all this really necessary? And then in the very next scene, we find out that she basically flirted with him and got the permits outright, and they don't even have to fill out the paperwork. So then Jonas goes to the local radio station to promote the revival. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie um, <laughs> because uh, he starts off, as I look out your window and you see the old DJ look to his right because there's no window. He's just looking at a, a, a wall. And he basically promotes the revival. Um, and uh, the, the old guy says, you got 30 seconds left. And as a former DJ, I just want to point out that Jonas absolutely hits the post at the end of his little speech. Uh, <clears throat> and then we cut to my very favorite scene in the whole movie, which is the choir rehearsing uh, a great gospel song and uh, the tent being raised. And then we also have cuts of the crew going around town, passing out flyers. But I just love that song. Uh, <clears throat> I've been misunderstood. <laughs> um, and uh, we see Jonas do a magic trick in front of a bunch of kids where he just throws something when no one's looking. Uh, but this is uh, where we get our first glimpse of Boyd, who is uh, Marva's younger brother who walks with arm braces. We also see Jonas uh, sink a really long basketball shot uh, after a bet he made with some teenagers to come to mm -hmm. the revival. And I guarantee mm -hmm. you those kids did not show up. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Before the service, the sheriff sends every government inspector known to man to the revival to inspect, hoping to find something to shut them down. Jane flirts with him briefly again, even pretending that he runs over her foot, and then he cracks a smile. The sheriff is not as made of stone as he appeared to be. <laughs> Back at the hotel, Jane and Jonas talk a little bit. We learn that she has hopes of maybe getting a Great Dane, and he says he can't take a dog on the road. Uh, and we learn that Jonas has failed to crack Marva's tough demeanor with more of his flirting. Then we finally get the first big revival scene of the movie and this is probably the heart of the movie um as we see how this con is run we see them eavesdropping on people as they come in and passing each other notes we see uh jane in the in the bus with video monitors everywhere and earpieces on everyone um we we see a little old lady who is given the kindness of let me put you in this wheelchair and wheel you on up front to the stage so that later on when she's re-wheeled up on the stage and pulled out of the wheelchair, it'll look like she's walking and been healed. This is just a con all the way through. Nobody here has any heart except for Jane, whose heart is really, really covered up right now. Uh, and part of the movie, maybe the point of the movie, is her journey to kind of rediscover that. Let's see. Uh, then Jonas goes to work preaching. Uh, and you might be tempted to think that this is way over the top. It's not. <laughs> um, it's only a wee bit over the top. 
um, <clears throat> it's the I think it's amount. completely authentic and exactly how a lot of these services go. Like yeah. I, I was shocked at how authentic it felt. Yeah, when he does the healing, especially, you can go on YouTube and find real televangelists doing the exact kind of stuff that he's doing on here. But it's basically a Broadway show, uh, and he even will later compare it to a Broadway show. Uh, but we get to see as the audience uh, that there's not any sincerity on the part of the people putting on the show. Maybe some of the choir. I think maybe some of the choirs like really praising God with their voices. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it does seem occasionally like they don't know all of the cons that are happening. But it's not really going very well. Jane says on the radio that the crowd isn't feeling it. Guess we're going to eat burgers tonight. But Jonas, well, we already learned he thrives on a challenge. So he starts using the information the crew eavesdropped earlier and starts goosing the crowd into believing, you've got a problem with your neighbor building a fence. Forgive him. And uh, the service seems to go pretty well after that, but they still only make about $4,000. We've learned earlier that uh, they need $3,500 uh, a day to basically break even. Um, <clears throat> so Jonas gives Jane a dog the next day. I think Jonas and Jane's relationship is fascinating, and I think a lesser movie would have delved straight into the used to date. Uh, and this movie doesn't do that. When Jonas mm -hmm. feels jealous of her spending time with the sheriff, it's because he feels like she's cheating on the con, not mm -hmm. on him. Um, <clears throat> but I think that's a fascinating uh, relationship, Jonas and Jane. I would love to see a prequel about how they came to be in each other's lives because I feel like that relationship is old and long and, and weathered. So then Jonas uh, goes to the diner, and this is where he sits down with Boyd, uh, Marva's brother, and plays chess with him. Um, <clears throat> you can tell that Marva's uncomfortable with him spending time with her brother. She goes outside to have a cigarette. And then when the chess game is over, he goes outside. And this is where we learn her reason for being standoffish with him is that her brother was told by previous faith people that he wasn't healed from his disability because he wasn't, uh, he didn't have enough faith uh, and and it was, uh, he had been hit by a drunk driver, uh, but the reason he couldn't walk again was that he, he didn't have enough faith. Uh, and it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, I, I, I realize, and you regular listeners probably have already pegged this, that part of what draws me to this movie is the amount of time I have spent in worlds tangentially related to this world. Um, and in having known people who have been told, well, this didn't go your way because you didn't have enough faith. Um, uh, so it really hits me in the gut uh, when he mm -hmm. says that. But then later he goes running, runs into Boyd again. Uh, and and I think in that moment is trying to do the noble thing and tells Boyd, no one up there is going to save you. No one, you know, that guy up there is not going to heal you. Uh, you're you're going to have to do that yourself. Um, and I think it's his interest in Marva that is kind of revealing his humanity here in how he's treating Boyd because uh, he, He's not really trying to con the kid. At the service that evening, the sheriff interrupts and tells everyone about Jonas's true criminal past. Dump, bump, bah. What a dick the sheriff is, <laughs> even though he's doing the right thing. Um, but it backfires spectacularly um, because Jonas just spins himself as another sinner saved by Jesus. Um, and it's actually a, another sight to behold. That night, we see Jonas sneak into the tent. We don't see him do it, but we know that he causes the statue to cry. And then the next morning, he's awoken by his employees. 
and all the people and the media are there. I don't. I want to know who went into the tent at eight in the morning and climbed up a ladder and said, that statue's crying. But at any rate, somebody did, figured it out. It's a media sensation. Jonas comes in, acts like he didn't do it, climbs up the ladder, comes back down and declares, hallelujah, it's a miracle. Uh, the music kicks up. And now people are going to come from all over to the next service because true miracles are happening here, correct? This brings people from all over the state. And as the cars line up filling into town, there's a disturbing amount of child labor going on with kids selling drinks and running around, handing cash to drivers and taking cash from people. And I'm just very surprised no one died in that scene. Um, mm. Jane and Jonas have a small tiff uh, and she goes to the sheriff's for a butterfly encounter. Um, actually, she just goes to talk, probably. And the b butterfly <laughs> encounter was like a bonus. <laughs> but I would admit, I think anyone would be uh, put into a romantic state of mind if someone next to you clapped and thousands of butterflies started landing on you and flying all over the place. It's pretty magical. That night service, though, brings what I think is inevitable. Um, <clears throat> Boyd comes and wants to be healed by Jonas. Jonas, when he sees him, he tries to wrap the service up like a coward. But Boyd holds his ground, and even after Jonas has left and gone back to the bus, the crowd is chanting one more, one more, like one more miracle, one more healing. Never been in a church service like that, where a preacher got an encore. Uh, never seen that, but uh, it's probably happened. So he comes back out, and then he starts to spiel. Um, you know, we can only do healings if everybody in this room has enough faith, and We've got the sheriff in this room, and we know he's a skeptic. So I just want everybody to, you know, be cautious here that this might not. And as he's talking, Boyd behind him walks up to the statue of Jesus and touches it with both hands and then stumbles. And the whole crowd gasps, and Jonas even starts in on Will, the sheriff, saying, this boy's healing has been interrupted by a skeptic. Um, <laughs> but then Boyd actually tries again and starts walking without his arm braces. <clears throat> and everyone is wowed. It's, an, it's a miracle of all miracles, except Jonas, who knows he didn't have anything to do with this. Uh, and he is initially adamant that he's been conned by this kid and his sister. And he and Jane have a huge argument uh, where basically she says, you don't care about anyone, do you? And he says, I never pretended I did. And she's like, you're right. You didn't. And she basically walks off. Uh, and that's, I think, symbolic of her quitting or at least ending their relationship in a significant way. Uh, Jonas goes into the tent and drunkenly starts taunting the Jesus statue and starts doing what I call reverse preaching, uh, <clears throat> where he's saying what he thinks are bitter truths by twisting scripture that he has quoted before. But then Boyd is there and shows up. Boyd wants to join the ministry. He's been healed, he believes now. But Jonas tells him the truth again, that he is a fraud. He says, I'm a fraud. And in a callback to earlier, because earlier in the movie, the kid said, my sister says, you're a fraud. And he says, well, if I get the job done, what does it matter? Um, and so the Boyd throws that back in his face. So if you are a fraud, if you get the job done, what does it matter? <clears throat> and I think that's fascinating because there's a piece of scripture, I'm pretty sure it was Paul, when he's asked about false prophets, it might not be Paul, but he says, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. I don't know why that always stuck with me, 
but it did. It always stuck with me because he ends it with, what do I care? Which sounds so modern. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, you know, whether whether the motives are true or false, if prices preach, what, preach, what do I care? <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Um, so he agrees, Jonas agrees to let the let boy join the ministry and says, 10 o'clock tomorrow outside your, your sister's diner, I'll meet you. And then he leaves. And almost immediately he says to the sister, yeah, I'm not going to be there, but uh, it's not because I don't care about him. Just make sure he knows that. Then we see Jane at the sheriff's house. It's obvious that they have done the deed. Mm -hmm. and they some, did it. There's some balcony <laughs> cuddling. Then uh, she goes to see uh, Jonas in his hotel room, but finds the, the door open and the sparkly jacket there with a note for her. And we see Jonas hitchhiking, climbing into his semi tractor trailer. Guy says he's on the way to Pensacola, Florida. And... Uh, Jonas is leaving. Jonas is going to reinvent himself. He's probably done it a dozen times in his life. Uh, and then it starts to rain. Uh, and this town has been in drought. Buried the lead. This town has been in drought for months and months and months. I think he said that. I think he <laughs> okay, said that. Okay, good. Um, yeah. And so it starts to rain. And we see the town dancing in the rain and, and enjoying and cheering. Uh, and I'll have you know, that one rainstorm is not going to fix your drought, but I'm glad that you think it will. Um, nope. And then we see uh, Jonas waving his hat out the window of the semi in the rain, saying, thank you, Jesus. Uh, and the movie ends. Um, mm. <clears throat> all right, guys, who wants to go first on your general thoughts about this film? Chris, uh, you're, you're, you're back. Give us some thoughts. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what I do like about the movie is that it shows you how people who are susceptible to this kind of thing, uh, why they would uh, follow somebody like Jonas. Um, a lot of times there are just a lot of people out there who are looking for answers to their problems. And when somebody comes out of the blue and starts talking about faith, which is something that for most small towns, you're going to have a bunch of people who are very attuned to that. They start talking about faith and they start having answers that they can't possibly have. How in the world are they getting these answers? Like, how do they know these things about me and, and everything that is a very powerful draw for a lot of people. And so I, I, I really appreciated the, the sort of the, what you can what you can tell is the foundation for why a con man like Jonas can be so successful in a story like this. I had a problem with the movie because I didn't know what I was rooting for in this. Um, Steve Martin comes in and he is taking advantage of a town that has very little money. They know this right off the bat uh, that usually they I guess they do something that's a little bit higher class usually is what I what I got the sense of. Uh, it seems like this is the exact crowd that they would have to go after, though, because a, a more high, a little higher bit of class may not fall for this type of thing. Mm. But I, I didn't know what we were rooting for because there's nothing in Steve Martin's art that says, boy, I hope he learns his lesson or, you know, something like that. That's what I kept. I was like, what are we? And like, by the end, of course, the movie has to completely 180 him. Uh, and it's like, oh. It doesn't matter that he's a con man. These people believe so much in in God and their faith and everything that there it turns out that it's real. You know, this person can walk all of a sudden. This rain comes down, all this stuff. So it doesn't matter. The point is, is that he stirred them up enough to 
get to this point and that's how the movie sort of sort of goes so i i was hoping because you know this is a uh, this movie the steve martin con man thing dirty rotten scoundrels came out before this Mm. and we are led to believe that the people that they are conning are corrupt uh people you know they're like they're they're or they're unknowingly corrupt in their ways um as they as he goes through the story and so like we we kind of are fine with them conning the rich people that are in that movie because there's a, a there's like some sort of like you know we believe that they've done bad things or whatever they don't deserve the money that they have these people are very innocent people and so I'm like, okay, what are we hoping for Steve Martin to to do in this? Um, because one angle would be these people are corrupt, so we want them to get conned. The other thing is that Steve Martin is corrupt, but he's got a soft spot that we really hope that he finds by the end. But we don't know that soft spot until about three quarters of the way of the movie, probably where you know he's finally sort of getting in with the lolita davidovich character and lucas haas and all that like he's you kind of see he's got a soft spot for them but it doesn't feel like uh it doesn't feel like there's a natural change in his character that makes sense to me no and, uh, so that's, that's 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 what i kept going through i was like i love the fact that it's got this foundation for how cons get get perpetrated on people but as far as the movie itself, I love Deborah Deborah Winger in this. By the mm-hmm. way, I think she's probably the best part of this movie. Yeah, she's um, the only one that really has an arc. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, where she realizes how much this is has you know hardened her heart uh, and desires to get away from it. Yeah, yeah, Aaron. Uh, my general thoughts are as I really enjoyed watching this movie. Um, I, <laughs> I, I had a, uh, already mentioned an experience where I'm just like, oh, this, this movie has clearly done its research on the Pentecostal church, on the idea of faith healers, on the idea of, you know, it's, it's interesting. This kind of thing predates the idea of a mega church, but there's a lot of that. I don't know that it predates the idea of a mega church, but more of the conglomeration of these mega churches. Like, but you get a lot of that sense of, you know, production is the, the key to reaching out to people. So I, I really resonated with a lot of the, the themes in the, the, the situations that were going on. I, like Chris, was uh, very confused at times about what the movie was trying to do, what it was trying to say, where it was trying to go. I think there's there's nothing wrong with a movie that opens a lot of questions and then just leaves you to have discussions afterwards. That's fine. I don't mind that. In fact, that's one of my favorite things about a movie like this is I'm going to have discussions with people I watch it with about what is the movie trying to say? What's it trying to do? I just think that there's also something uh, energizing about a movie that has a clarity of thought and a clarity of, you know, what it's trying to do. And I was... I didn't I didn't see a lot of that here. I don't think this movie is interested in whether God exists at all. I don't think I don't that's think the point at all, which I is agree. interesting. Um I think this movie pretty firmly believes God exists if you just read the the text. Like uh, there's a there's an idea of and you can uh, I I didn't see a lot by this director Richard Pierce. Um but if you look at kind of his stuff after this, it's 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 kind of family based, you know, movies. There's so I think that the point here may have been to be like 
if God exists, he, he ain't happy with this, <laughs> like, which is fine. I think we all agree with that. Um, but it's a, but it's an interesting thing because, uh, I can't see someone who is uh, an atheist walking away from this movie going, yeah, you know, like there's, there's not a, a lot of that kind of idea here. Um, and I can't see someone who is a person of faith walking away from this movie going, yeah. Yeah. I don't so, think. Atheists or Christians should use this movie as uh, evidence uh, right. either way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where um, I, I'm finding myself really enjoying the performance. I think Steve Martin is perfect for this. Um, the you know the research I read said that Michael Keaton was the first choice for this performance, which is a totally you. different movie, by the way. Yeah. I, he could have nailed it. He played a, on one episode of Frasier. He played a former associate of Frazier's who had conned Frazier mm -hmm. a million times. And he shows back up in a wheelchair as a preacher and says he's been saved. And Frazier doesn't believe him. Frazier thinks it's a con and everyone else thinks he's a changed man. And then Michael Keaton is preaching in the final scene of the show. And he's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, he's also conning. It turns out that Frazier was <laughs> but this hilarious scene when he's preaching and everybody's like, praise the Lord. And Frazier stands up and just starts baaing like a sheep at the people in the audience. He's like, baaing. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think Michael Keaton would have brought a lot more bite uh, to this. Uh, yeah. A completely different performance, but I think he would have nailed it. But uh, it feels like a script went through a few changes. And they, they knew they had to do something with Jonas at the end. It was not typical Jonas, but they also didn't feel like they could have him completely 180 and believe in miracles. So they had him shrug and laugh off at what might be a coincidence. I'm not sure, but mm. they, I think that Deborah Wenger character is, is what gives the movie at least some bit of a heartbeat in that, you know, yes. she does have a changed perspective at the end from what she began the movie as. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it just kind of goes up to the end and they're like, wow, we don't really know how to end this. Um, yeah. Can but, I tell uh, you right before I watched this, I watched uh, officer and a gentleman for the first time. Ooh, and, nice. and that what, was not intentional. I did not realize Deborah Winger was the common denominator there uh, until it ha she popped up in leap of faith. And I was like, Oh, I just fell in love with this woman. Um, <laughs> so it was, it's nice to see her again. She's as cute and adorable as ever. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and I did love her an officer and, and a gentleman. It's one of the only things I loved in that movie. In fact, I did not Ooh. enjoy officer and a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, but anyways, I, I may, I may have missed something. So I want you guys to help me out. Um, the, the Jesus wept scene, uh, I, I had a hard time understanding it. Did I miss a moment where we know for sure he did something to that statue or someone did something to that statue? Well, I mean, that... he walks, he gathers a bunch of makeup and bottles and puts them in a bag and goes into the place and sees the sleeping security guard and it cuts away. And so okay. he absolutely did yeah. something. It just okay. I missed show him that. Doing I, missed yeah. the, I, knew, I missed that foreshadowing. I knew he had done something because of that scene. I had to figure out what he did, though, because I did not realize the, the Jesus's eyes weren't open. That's, that's what so I, I thought I kept, it was. Jesus kept, opened his eyes. I didn't think yeah, it was the crying. I kept, yeah. I kept rewinding it. And I was like, what is going on here? And then he rubs the face. I don't see tears. And maybe it's due to the fact that 
it's worn out over the years and maybe you don't see the water no, you're, you guys are right it's not tears yeah. i think he puts his he puts his thumb under the eye and i mm -hmm. i think i have just always assumed oh it's crying but you're right the statue had closed eyes before and then it and opened his eyes and then it, there. He, it confuses things even further because the next scene is him uh throwing that shirt down in the tub and he's like turpentine well that was worth it, it was a that that was a good shirt but the trick was worth it or whatever and i was like the turpentine and the shirt what does that have to do with this because he, got, mainly, paint right, he got, got paint on it he got paint on it when he was doing the, the, I, sit there and like rewind a hundred times to go okay what was really going on you know it, there is something to be said about what what is a what is a film's responsibility in allowing the audience to see the clues find the clues i'm fine taking the hit and just going i missed it right mm -hmm. because i actually would rather a movie be more subtle than more overt so um so i'm glad we went through that because you're right there are there are absolutely indications and foreshadowing that this is what happened and i just missed it because i missed it i wondered if he didn't do it and he was trying to figure out what happened but that is not the case that is not uh, what the movie is saying uh when i think about it so I'll say another thing yeah. that's good about that scene before he goes to do the painting and everything is you get to see all the stuff that's in his box and i'm mm. assuming i get a sort i get i kind of get a backstory here that he must have mm -hmm. been with a tra his mom or somebody was a traveling con person or whatever that was doing you know doing these kind of like you know i can read your mind and everything there's this like little flyer or something that pops out of that box where you see this little child and you see this woman and they're obviously it's some sort of like i can read your mind type of uh thing that they were going town to town doing and everything i thought that was a really nice touch they even uh, use the same part. technique from nightmare alley where it's like certain words are cues from mm, the hostess yep. in the audience or what have mm -hmm. you um oh yeah it's it's really you can tell someone did their research into magic tricks how things you know cold reads the stuff he's doing with the officer in the first scene is classic cold read stuff yeah like mm -hmm. it's 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 very oh and even the the clear um the, the stuff you may have just mentioned this with the the letters that the Deborah Winger character was choosing words that began with a certain letter that would clue yeah. him into what they had. Like all that stuff is really, um, you know, as somebody who really enjoys Penn and Teller's Fool Us, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, all that stuff is, is common in a lot of, you know, magicians uh, tricks and to, you know, use those to play on people uh people's faith and and their hope is it's disgusting and i think the movie does a, a good job at, at portraying how disgusting I it is i want to also come to my own defense here about that why i call, why i've seen this movie six times and i still thought it was tears <laughs> because because if the eyes were closed and then the statue's eyes opened no one is going to say that's a miracle that's not what people that's not the miracles people report with jesus statues it's tears mm -hmm. right or blood they, they would Tears go, blood. Yeah. They would mm -hmm. go, somebody painted over those eyes. That's obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. If the statue was crying and secreting something, that is unexplainable. I mean, he does rub the face like it's been crying, so I don't I don't know, man. Who knows? Uh, I'm just saying. Is he, open trying eyes. To, is he wiping off a little extra uh, paint, paint that didn't dry or something? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, but uh, know. he does it in such a theatrical manner, I thought that it was not necessarily him covering up for a mistake it was him being awed by what he saw yeah and 
Yeah, thing. it's weird. Yeah. I do feel we're we're pointing it out, but I do feel like there's a lot on the cutting room floor of this movie that might have connected yeah. the dots a I, little better. I, it does feel like a movie that that um that that is trying to find its meaning as opposed to had it yes. and then presented it. Yes. It is that is a very good way to put it. It, yeah, it just it feels like it never quite coalesced and got to exactly what it wanted to see. Um, also, I, biggest underuse of Philip Seymour Hoffman in history. Even though <laughs> well, was... I mean, it's funny. Like, how did this guy become such a tremendously huge actor? When you look at stuff like this and Twister yeah. and all of that, when he was in, back in these early '90s and everything, and suddenly people were like, "Well, maybe we should have him do more than just." emote and yell after you know yell to <laughs> yeah. something off the screen you know and it's like maybe there's something something better behind this guy because if you watched those two movies you would just think that's what his role was the rest of his life oh, yeah. was mm -hmm. playing these characters you know yeah, yeah. So. bandana guy with long hair who quips <laughs> um <laughs> all right, I have, right. A, I have an important question okay is liam neeson miscast in this movie I think terribly miscast. I think Ooh. I think I think he's I just think there are so many different types of personalities that would have been much better and much more um uh, able to create that tete a tete thing that the movie I think wants than than Liam Neeson. I think he's too here's laid the, back for this character. Here's the question for you though. Are we saying that because we most of us started to pay attention to Liam Neeson Schindler's list on? And he's played these different kinds of characters. Yeah, that it's, it's impossible to know. Yeah. And then, I mean, he obviously he's been he'd been around forever before this. You know, there's all sorts of movies he was in like before this movie mm -hmm. even and like Dark yep. Man and stuff yep. like that. It was a was a big one for a lot of people as well. Mm -hmm. But like I, I I've, I've thought of that myself. I do think it's weird seeing him in here playing this very calm character. But at the same time, I was like, is that because I know him because of Taken and and all this other stuff that he's done recently? Is it coloring I don't know. my I just I just feel like that, especially that, you know, break up the revival and uh, you know, and tell everybody this person's past scene. I just the the what he brings to that is very, very little. Like his the natural presence he brings to that doesn't quite work with the energy of what I think that scene yeah, should yeah. be. Um, I get what you're saying. Cause he does he does seem out of place in this movie quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's so and it's not just saying. the 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 accent uh being in the the you know yeah Midwest. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly. I want your story. How how did you get here? I want more yeah, of that. Right. Yeah. All right, um, I think uh, one or both of you have prepared a super secret double feature for today. Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Uh, yeah, first. yeah, I guess both of us have. I'm not mm -hmm. sure, uh, but uh, uh, the movie has already been mentioned, so it is not super secret. Uh, <laughs> but Nightmare Alley is the movie that I thought of. Nice during yeah. this. Um, uh, either one, you can to pick the original or the new one with Bradley Cooper. Um, but uh, it goes with the same sort of deal, you know. Uh, someone who is using a lot of tricks to uh to do the thing that they're doing that's wowing and amazing everybody i think this would would go along well with that also south park fans uh there's an episode where they tear apart john edwards who used to have a show 
like that was a syndicated mm-hmm. show where he did this kind of like thing where he would be like, uh, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that there's somebody who's got a person who's died recently oh, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, he'd do all these little tricks and South Park set out to just basically just like point out point by point what John Edwards was doing all the way through it. And that's uh, amazing. It's fantastic. It's one of the older South Park episodes anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely thought of uh, Nightmare Alley, uh, went down that route for a second. Um, I thought of, you know, other preacher movies. I thought of The Apostle for a little bit as an interesting double feature here. Mm -hmm. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, of course, would be an interesting Mm -hmm. double feature here with Steve Martin. But eventually... Uh, I landed on a more recent film, uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. And I like these two back to back because there's an interesting thing that um, Leap of Faith doesn't present, which is that a lot of people who do this believe what they're doing. Yeah. We are in a situation in Leap of Faith where it is clear from the beginning he knows he's a charlatan, he knows that he is taking people for a ride. And there is a a group of people who uh, do this for money, and they convince themselves of all sorts of things because they believe, according to themselves, so deeply that the message has to get out there or or whatever. And this movie deals with that through the eyes of, in very empathetic eyes of a woman who, who really believes these things, but is trying to figure out her role in in all of this um, production and uh, in in the move of the religious right to a political power and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I find it a very interesting double feature because it, it kind of goes, okay, here's the here's the charlatan who knows he's a charlatan version, and then here's the you know somebody who is really struggling with their actual faith and how it relates to the uh, the production element mm-hmm. and Andrew the Garfield. money element. Mm-hmm. And Andrew Garfield is amazing yep. in this movie as well. Yeah, Jessica Chastain is incredible in this film too. So yeah. Any reason, any excuse you have to go watch Jessica Chastain and or Andrew Garfield is a good one. <laughs> a fair point. Agreed. Well, Chris, mm-hmm. now that you are back, uh, we're glad to have you, but uh, you have the honors for next week to give us our homework. And by the way, thanks everybody who have uh, came into the chat and asked how uh, uh, glad that I'm back and everything like that. I'm happy to be back. I didn't want to make too big of a deal of that because it's just, you know, I'm going to be doing my normal stuff here. Uh, and I didn't have like an epic six months or anything where I'm like, I got to tell you, when I went backpacking in Europe and blah, blah, blah. Let me blah, tell you what it's like yeah. to walk on the moon. It's yeah, just exactly. insane. Yeah, I recommend it. Um, anyway. My um, small mech recommend is the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um uh, so I, I'm coming back and uh, I was in the middle of doing comedies by the decade when I was, uh, when I left and I was in the fifties. So we will be going to the sixties. It's a mad, 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 mad world is my big recommend for next week. I don't know if this is the beginning. This is the first of its kind. It's a, it's basically, um, it's like, uh, what would you call it? It's one of those, it's one of those movies where, it, uh, everybody's going after a certain something and they have to go across the country to get it and everything. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, um, uh, what is the, I can't even think of the game that you play. It's, uh, 
It's a it's the a amazing it, race. I don't it's, know. <laughs> it, it kind of an amazing race. But did, did you ever see the movie Midnight Madness that came out in the eighties? It was like mm. Michael J. Fox and everything. Yeah. Uh, I can't and the and Rat Race, which came out. It's mm-hmm. kind of, it's it's that type of thing. Um, just a million people going after one thing and and interpreting clues in a certain way and whatever. So um, this is uh, uh, just one of those a, by the title. It's a very nutty movie with tons of comedic comedic stars from like all the decades are in this. Like I think Charlie Chaplin's in this movie, oh, and wow. uh, and Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton for sure is in this movie. I don't know if Charlie Chaplin made it in this, but but it, there's I mean it goes back decades how many comedy stars are in this thing. So anyway, that's the uh, that's the, mad, the big recommend. So mad mad world. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, this is folks uh, playing along at home on Tubi and Pluto TV and the Roku channel for free. It's on MGM Plus with a with a subscription, um, mm-hmm. or you can rent it from your favorite streaming service. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a mad 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 world, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably good on time for today, man. If yeah. you want to wrap us up. Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, thank you again, chat. It's good to be back. Uh, thank you for coming in and uh, giving us your thoughts. Maybe with this three-man booth, we'll have a chance of doing questions at some point. I, from what I understand, you guys have not been getting questions much anyway, right? We have not been, no. <laughs> so, Sorry, anyway. I talk a lot. What can yeah. I say? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we will gag Aaron Dicer on one of the next. <laughs> it's gonna have uh, to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, thank you so much, uh, uh, chat, for coming out and uh, everything. But uh, that's gonna do it for this episode. We'll see you next week. Bye, bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com I'm watching the show. <laughs> it's called um, Nosebleeds. Yes, yeah, Nosebleeds. Okay. By uh, Nosebleeds. Song. I, it's one of those that you could uh, I could have probably said what the band was if we hadn't been asked the question. <laughs> yes. No, I know that feeling. I don't find myself listening to much music. When do you guys listen to music? When I'm in the car. Mm, see, that's podcast time for me. Podcasts have stolen my music discovery, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I also listen to music at my desk, usually for about 20, 30 minutes at some point in the evening, where I just set work aside. And mm-hmm. Like Chris was saying, pull up songs that I like on YouTube. Um, just have them going. I also, I do it in the car, but I also do it in the shower, and I also do it, because um, I've got a, I actually have a, unused sound bar that i ended up putting in my bathroom <laughs> Amazing. So i can just i can play play loud uh music in the shower without worrying about it uh awesome. yeah and and so um, is it wall mounted so that's what i do like above the shower head <laughs> so what do you think about saltburn chris uh, i i love saltburn i it's it's um it's basically like an alternate universe talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm, sure. Like, yeah. Kind of like, 
a lot of the things that happen in that movie are are kind of that but i like the fact that you don't know what's going on really in the movie for a long time you're interested in the characters mm-hmm. but it's like it's like what is the deal what's where are we headed on this i don't know what we're where we're going and then stuff really just starts to i'm trying to say stuff without spoiling but right, i don't know right. if anybody cares so um this is the one where Barry Keegan shows his penis. <laughs> <laughs> when I was I was recently at a Saltburn party with Barry Keegan, and uh, he was he mm-hmm. just talked to him for like five minutes. Super nice guy, just super. He's he's he seemed to be in that moment where it's like I love all this attention I'm getting. This is really fun, which is a very honest response to you know that kind of thing. Um, he just seems like he'd be a blast to hang out with and. Mm-hmm. and go do stuff with i did tell him yeah. uh that unlike his big uh scene in the <clears throat> the movie uh i do not expect this one to flop uh so he thought he thought, oh, he thought that was hilarious nice uh, nice oh. nice way to go <laughs> way to go he would probably have gotten all kinds of raves if colin farrell and what's his name hadn't been doing so much awesome work themselves mm-hmm. in that sure. movie mm-hmm. yeah. it's great <clears throat> Yeah. Well, I mean, he got nominated for an Oscar, so he 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 got he definitely got rec- uh, recognized. I did not realize that. Um, yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's really good in the yeah. movie. Um I think I think you're right. I think the movie reveals itself really well. Uh so mm-hmm. like the information you need it, it it comes when you need it and um and yeah, it's 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 got some oh, did they really go there moments? Uh but mm-hmm. like I think they all serve the story they're all part of you know the, what we're supposed to be experiencing there's also, something go ahead jacob elordi is gonna be a big star too yeah I think. They, after you saw you see him in recotopia you're like okay this guy's really good at playing a dick euphoria, <laughs> euphoria. <laughs> euphoria. <laughs> yeah in euphoria yeah there's a show called recotopia did you not know <laughs> um, that's so. like uh emmy rossums in uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, What's Mystic that? River? Is it that Mystic River movie? Well, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would it be a spoiler to say kind of? A little bit? <laughs> She's not not in it. Yeah. Um. <laughs>